you have your Bible, see if you go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and as you're uh, doing so, just a couple of uh, brief announcements for you. Uh, we are still in need of some nursery workers. Thank you. Many signed up to help out in junior church, and I'm not saying we don't need any other help there. Now that the buses are up and running, we have a few more children uh, to take care of, but especially ladies, we need some help uh, in the nurseries. And uh, if you can help with that, there are new signups out on the bulletin board. Uh, or I know, I think I, there, Carrie Urbanowitz is here. Uh, so if you can just see her, uh, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, soul winning on Friday at 345 and Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Please come out and join us. Uh, be a part of that. Uh, the teens are upstairs for their meeting tonight, but this Friday is their Valentine party. Moms and dads, if you are the parent of a teenager, uh, you are invited, encouraged to come be a part of this. Uh, the cost will be a snack, dessert, or beverage to share. Uh, if you have any questions, Brother Rob will be around after the service, and I'm sure he'll be happy uh, to help you with that. Did you find Acts chapter 17 yet? All right, we're going to start at verse 16 in a moment. Let's back up just a little bit. Paul has begun his ministry in Europe, uh, in, in the country of Greece. He started in the north in Macedonia um, at the city of Philippi. And there the great church uh, of the Philippians was established, and we walked through that in chapter 16. Uh, from there he went down a little bit south uh, to the city of Thessalonica. He stayed there about a month, three Sabbath days. Uh, we learned what his technique was. Uh, every time he went in, his manner was that he, number one, reasoned with him out of the scriptures. Uh, he wasn't there teaching the latest trend or anything like that. Uh, he was opening the scriptures in the synagogues, and he did two things after that. Uh, letting them know that Christ did not just come to reign or was coming to reign, but he first came to be a redeemer, that Christ was going to suffer and he was going to die and be raised again. The second thing he taught on that issue was that this Jesus of Nazareth was that Christ. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. Give me, there are two other words that mean Christ. Messiah is one of them. What's the other? Anointed or anointed one. So Paul did that. Uh, there were some people that got saved, uh, but the, the essence we get from Scripture is the majority of the Jewish people there rejected the message. Now, they claimed to be Bible believers, um, but they, they didn't want to put their faith in Christ. Uh, a great multitude of Greeks who more than likely had converted to Judaism listened to the message, got saved, and so forth. The Jews got, got filled with envy. They started a citywide riot. And for his own safety, Paul was whisked out of the city. And uh, he was uh, on to the next place. And he ended up in a town called Berea. We believe that Luke was probably left there uh, to minister in Thessalonica. As a Greek, he would have been less of a lightning rod, uh, more easily accepted there. Paul started in Berea. In verse number 11, he's in the synagogue. Notice the description there. These people uh, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. These people had a higher level of integrity. 
In Thessalonica, if you remember, it's, uh, um, you know, we, we believe the Bible, but as soon as they saw something from the scriptures that they didn't like, uh, they rejected it, ignored it. The Bereans were the kind, well, the Bible says so. And they, and, and the difference was in Thessalonica, some of them believed in Berea, many of them believed and uh, so forth. But the Jews from Thessalonica that didn't get saved, they went down to Berea about 60 miles away and began stirring up the entire city again uh, and so forth. It is amazing how the enemies of the cross will go to all kinds of lengths uh, to try to disrupt the work of God. Uh, Paul left Silas and Timothy there uh, in Berea and in verse number 15, they uh, that conducted uh, Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul is now in one of the oldest cities on the Greek peninsula, the city of Athens. Uh, for the rest of this chapter, we're going to read about Paul's ministry there. Uh, most, most scholars that I have tried to uh, uh, study and, and, and refer to in, in uh, preparation for uh, the Bible study here uh, believe that uh, despite his efforts in the city of Athens, uh, there was never a church that was planted there. Uh, it was one of the few places that he went. He had a handful of converts. We'll read about them in the last verse. Uh, but uh, for the most part, there weren't a lot of converts there. By the time Paul went to Athens, Athens was already a very ancient city. It was a very well-known city. Um, Athens was so well-respected by the Romans that the city itself was made a Roman colony. Uh, it was free of taxation, and uh, so it was a very, uh, it was a respected city. It was a revered city. Athens was the intellectual center of the world. Paul didn't have persecution in Athens like he did in Thessalonica, Berea, or even in Philippi before that. He faced a different type of opposition, and it was that of people who thought that their higher learning made them smarter than God. Um, by the way, that's, that's often the case, sadly. It's often the case. Uh, is it not bizarre for us to consider that those who try to claim that there are a hundred or more genders, view those of us who say there are two, there are male and female, female, that we are some kind of intellectual cavemen who are still writing on the walls of caves, that they are somehow enlightened. Even though the same people who said, trust the science about getting that jab in your shoulder, uh, the science says there are two genders. In every one of our bodies, every strand of DNA is either male or female. Centuries from now, if there are still human beings around and they dig up the remains of people from 2023 and all they've got are a pile of bones and a grave to go on and they test them, it'll come out either as male or female not she-male or it-male or whatever it happens to be. The science says two genders, male and female, but the, the intellects of our world today see that as foolishness. 
The idea that we believe that there is a God in heaven who created everything by the word of his mouth in six literal days is laughed at and scorned and all that kind of stuff because the intellects have science, they say, on their side because they believe and they, they can't prove it. Nobody was there. They don't have the video. They can't play the tape, anything like that, that once upon a time there was nothing, nothing exploded and became everything. And it takes, in their mind, no faith at all to believe in that. Uh, that takes a whole lot more faith than creationism, that type of thing. Uh, and that is sadly the way of human nature to think that somehow we become smarter than God. And that is what happened with Athens. This background is important for us to understand everything that's going to happen in the rest of this chapter. I, I don't often do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you. Are you okay with that? Just pretend it's bedtime and pastor's reading your night-night story, okay? Uh, so get your blankie, suck your thumb, whatever you're going to do. Um, but uh, here's what, this is uh, from a, a commentator named John Phillips, one of my favorite uh, commentators on the Bible, does a tremendous job studying out history and doing the research. Um, and let me just help you understand the Athens that Paul has stepped into in Acts chapter 17. The age of Pericles, a, an ancient Greek ruler, had seen the Greek way of life come to full flower. The names that adorned the 5th century before Christ included Herodotus, through whom we know much about ancient Egypt, the ancient Babylonians, Persians, and so forth, Euripides, Socrates, and Plato. Soon afterwards came Aristotle and Demosthenes. Thereafter, Athens became the school of Greece, and Greece in turn became the school of the world. Three centuries before the golden age of Pericles, Homer had shown upon the world of Greece, writing the Iliad and the Odyssey. According to Herodotus, it was Homer and Hesiod, his successor, who gave the Greeks the Parthenon, and peopled Mount Olympus with the gods. When Paul came to Athens, his eyes fell at once on the Parthenon, built 447 years before Christ, and is considered to this very day to be one of the greatest masterpieces of architecture. Some consider it the most perfect building ever conceived and built by man. How many have ever seen a picture of the remnants of the Parthenon in Greece? Uh, it's withstood uh, World War I, World War II, and all kinds of conflicts in Greece. Athens was famous for mathematics. It was the Athenians who laid down its principles, terminology, and methods. All of our teenagers upstairs could know who to blame uh, for trigonometry, geometry, and all of that. Uh, Pythagoras and Aristarchus set astronomy on its course. Archimedes invented the science of hydrostatics. Philosophy was virtually a Greek invention with Plato and Aristotle dominating, Aristotle dominating Western thought since Europe became civilized. Aristotle was famed for his philosophy and logic, his physics, biology, ethics, and political science. The Greeks also pioneered the way in political science, liberty, law, democracy, and parliament all originated with Greece. The Greeks gave the world not only a love of knowledge and a love of beauty, but a love of freedom. But for all that, Greek civilization was spiritually bankrupt. 
They populated Mount Olympus with gods made in the image and likeness of men. They projected the lines of human personality into infinity. And because of the, the lines they projected were those of fallen men, they created a pantheon of fallen gods. And I'm not trying to bore you with this, but this is laying the groundwork for some of the very issues Paul is going to bring out uh, as he tries to present Christ to the Athenian people. Um, the savagery and immorality of the Greek gods was fabled, and their theology was a mass of contradictory fables. They had no knowledge of salvation, no divine inspiration. If a Greek wanted to get drunk, he turned to Dionysius. If he wanted to indulge his lust, he had Aphrodite. Hermes helped him if he decided to become a thief. Zeus, who headed the Greek pantheon, was savage and lustful. The Greeks had no church, no creed, no systematic theology. Since their gods had no morals, how then could their worshipers? Neither purity, humanity, nor mercy found a patron among the gods. Greek philosophy found out many truths, but never found the truth. This is the city to which Paul comes. Everything that was ancient in other places was very much alive and very much modern when Paul stepped into that city some 60 years or so after Christ, maybe, maybe less than that, and he walks into that city. No wonder then in verse 16, thank you for bearing with me as I read all of that to you. Now, while Paul waited for them, that's Silas and Timotheus at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. He looked around at that. Athens was filled with paganism in a way that we don't really comprehend. When I lived in Palmyra, New York, on the main street uh, there, there was, a, there was one intersection that on each corner had a church. It was one of the few cities. It's just a town of 3,000 people. It was one of the few, I believe, the only town in the state of New York that had a church on every corner of the main intersection there. Um, and so over there, you could travel a little further down and you would find the Mormon uh, uh, temple there and, and so on and so forth. That's where Mormonism started. Um, and many of us see that. We can drive around Wallingford and you can find churches of many stripes, but nothing that we see compares anything to what Athens had. Nothing even remotely there. On the mount where the Parthenon crowns that, that hillside today, um, they had literally hundreds of temples and statues and shrines erected to gods and goddesses of every form and every stripe. To the Greek mind, most of them were well known. They had their groups like today we have, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Catholic or I'm this or that. Uh, they had people that were loyal to Zeus. They had people that were loyal to Aphrodite, uh, that type of thing. And then you had others that just sort of sampled a, a little bit of what everybody uh, had to offer. And when Paul walked in, everywhere he went, he saw idolatry. 
In the city of Athens, they had Mount Olympus where they had all of the, the, the temples and that's where the Parthenon crowned the top of that. But there was a, a large flat area that was called the Agora. The Agora was the marketplace. And that's where anybody that had any kind of a, of a product to sell, they would bring it to the Agora. Uh, you would oftentimes purchase space to set up your stall. Some were more permanent than others. You could buy pretty much anything that you wanted, and it came from all over the then Roman Empire. You could buy live animals. You could buy people. Uh, you could buy fabrics. You could buy gemstones. You could buy food of every type that you can imagine. Uh, you could buy jewelry. Uh, just pretty much anything that, that uh, you could think of in the ancient world that could be purchased, it was there in the Agora. But in that place, the Agora, everywhere you turned, it did not matter where you were, you could turn in any direction, you would see a statue of the Greek heroes who were granted oftentimes mythological godhood status, or you would see a statue of a Greek god or goddess. So when it says that Paul's spirit was stirred when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, that is what it is referring to. Athens was a place unlike anything you and I can even comprehend in our modern, modern world. And there are places that are given over to idolatry. We understand that. But Athens stands out in history as a, as a one-of-a-kind place. As a preacher of the gospel, Paul was burdened. His spirit was stirred. He wasn't impressed with the, the history of the place. He wasn't impressed with the glory and the grandeur. You understand when Paul went there, the Parthenon was not ruins. It was a functioning temple. It was the masterpiece. It was the centerpiece of all of Athens. You can go there now and you can see the ruins of everything. Some of the statues are missing heads or arms. Some are laying toppled over. But in Paul's, days, that was, Paul's day, that was not the case. Oftentimes, statues of the heroes, they would actually put uh, uh, capes uh, across their shoulders and so forth, crowns upon their heads. Um, and much as you go into some uh, restaurants today uh, and you'll see a little statue of Buddha. How many have noticed that? And there'll be a bowl in front and sometimes there's rice. There's little bits of food in there. Uh, that was very much the practice in some of the idolatry of Athens. It was, it was all flourishing when Paul went there. It wasn't, it wasn't history. Even though the place was hundreds of years old, it was, it was living history. His spirit was stirred in him when they saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Verse 17, what's the first word? Therefore. Do you know, when we look at the lost condition of the world, we see what they're involved in. It ought to do something to us. It ought to stir us. Not to rage and not to ridicule, but to burden. You see, these are people that need Christ. These are people that are devoid of truth. And unless they hear the truth, they're lost. Now, what they do with the truth is up to them. But they need to hear the truth. And Paul saw this, therefore, 
disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market. The word market, you might want to write in the column of your Bible there, the word agora, A-G-O-R-A. That's the, what, the Greek word, that's what it was called. That is that huge, huge, expansive place. Many, many, probably several football fields big. Um, that was the marketplace daily with them that met with him. So Paul went to the synagogue. That's where his custom was. Okay. And notice it says he disputed with them. They weren't open to what he had to show them from the scriptures. We know what his custom was from Acts 17, 2 and 3. Okay. These people... These people there, according to what we know from history, they had allowed the Greek culture to influence them. I believe, by the way, that's one of the dangers of, of every generation of Christians is allowing the world out there to influence us. Uh, I've, I've been telling our staff for some time uh, that uh, we need to just start bracing ourselves because wokeism is coming to our churches and our ministries and our schools. It's coming. Uh, it's out there. What's, why? Because we're letting the world influence us instead of us influencing the world. That's the danger of churches dropping their standards and changing their music and changing the atmosphere because we want to attract the world by being like the world. When that happens, the world already won. That is not God's plan. Come out from among them and be what? Separate, Separate saith the Lord. Um, it appears this school... Uh, or this, this synagogue, he disputed with them. But he didn't stop there. Uh, devout persons, he's in that market daily. He's talking to anybody he can buttonhole uh, everywhere that he goes. When I was in England, I was with missionary Dave Salt up in Pres uh, Prescott, England, in the northern part of the country. And uh, one Wednesday afternoon, it was November, and it was rather chilly. It was a sunny day, but it was chilly and brisk. Brother Dave and I just went uh, soul winning, and we did so in their version of a marketplace. Um, and it, it was just sort of an open area where a lot of different roads converged, uh, that type of thing, and people just coming and going, a lot of foot traffic. Uh, and, and Brother Solt and I were, were there for hours and hours, and uh, I, I didn't encounter anybody that was rude. Uh, a lot of people just, just uh, didn't want to take the, the track. Uh, they were kind about it. They said, cheers, mate. That was their response to me and that type of thing. Um, and Brother Soul and I, like I said, we spent probably six hours there that day. Uh, we didn't have any converts or anything, but all we were doing was just looking for somebody to give a gospel track to, looking for somebody to talk to. Uh, by the way, it doesn't, it, it's not about uh, uh, are they going to respond, it's are we going to give them the opportunity to respond. So that's what Paul's doing, he's buttonholing everyone. Look at verse number 18. Then certain philosophers, remember Greek, Greece was known for that, Athens especially about philosophy, of the Epicureans and the Stoics, encountered him now let's just stop for a moment philosophers the love of lovers of wisdom that's what the word philosophy or philosopher means uh, these were the people that just sat around all day long trying to figure out how life worked and and all those type of things and these are two different groups and they are as diametrically opposed to each other as you can imagine the epicureans the epicureans 
they were followers of a belief that said that the gods made us and then they stepped out of the world and just left us do whatever we want to do. And that the best thing that we can do in the brief lifetimes that we have here is just indulge ourselves in whatever feels good. Does that sound somewhat familiar to some of the things? Uh, if you've heard the, the phrase Epicurean delights, it's about certain kinds of food that are, uh, that are very, very rich or very, very lavish, that type of thing. And so the Epicureans, they lived a very licentious lifestyle. They were immoral people. They just indulged, you know, if it feels good, do it. You know, that type of thing. And that was the Epicureans. On the other side uh, were the Stoics. Uh, the Stoics believe much the same about the relationship of the gods with men, though they did adhere a little bit that the gods were more actively involved in what went on down here. Uh, but they believed that the most important thing that we did was to exercise self-control. Um, and so they lived very strict lives. Um, they, 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 uh, they, they lived very austere lives. They didn't uh, build lavish homes. Uh, they lived very simply. They dressed very simply. They didn't believe in gaudy jewelry, gaudy clothing. Uh, they did not believe in Im immorality or anything like that. So you got both ends of the spectrum. The Epicureans, you know, if it feels good, do it. And the Stoics, if it feels good, it's probably sin. Okay. Uh, on, on both ends. And the Bible says that they encountered him. I like to do word studies. That word encountered doesn't mean that they just happened to bump into him one day. They sought him out. They had heard about him because Paul's talking to everybody, talking to the Jews in the synagogue, any devout person he could find. And the idea of devout person is not just a devout Jew it's anybody that he saw praying at an altar, uh, going in and out of temples, that type of thing. He knew these are religious people. He's trying to encounter them, talk to them about Christ. Uh, everybody in the marketplace, these people sought him out. They wanted to find out what he uh, uh, was all about in verse 18. And some said, that's some of these group, Epicureans and Stoics said, what will this babbler say? The word babbler means seed picker. It's an insult. It's just this guy's picked up some kind of seed or something and he's trying to spread it around and plant it all over our fair city. They saw him, if you will, as a, somewhat of a rabble rouser. Uh, they, they saw him. They didn't realize that he had an intellect that probably made theirs uh, you know, look, look like they were just, you know, they couldn't even spell the word IQ. Uh, his intellect was so great, made them look like they should all be hosting the view, uh, that type of thing. Um, and, but they said, what will this babbler say? Other some, other in the group, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. Notice little g, because he's not talking about any, anyone who has a name on one of their temples or statues or shrines. The word gods, if you study it out, also means demons. So they were looking very harshly, very critical at him. And they did this, the Bible says, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. 
And so we're going to stop at verse 18. We've, I, I did not plan to go any further than that. Uh, this is the, the uh, atmosphere in which Paul has stepped into. Um, as we read the Bible, the background helps us to understand everything. And Paul is going to launch into a conversation that they initiate. And after he gets going, they're going to wish that they hadn't. And, uh, and, and we're just going to see the results of that. But before Paul uh, goes into the sermon, he said, we need to have a business meeting. And so that's what we're going to do at this time. If you are...